Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. You know, I just really want to speak to you this morning from the heart, um, which I always want to do, but I want to do so in a special way this morning because I feel the impact of this message even as I thought about it. Um, That may sound a bit weird because we're talking about justice and we're talking about justice for me, but I think you'll understand why I say this as we come around to the conclusion. But I'm going to begin with a story. It is a dangerous thing to be bored. It's a dangerous thing to be home alone and bored. And it is a dangerous thing to be home alone, to be bored after having spent five to six hours working on a PhD that is frustrating you and making you feel like you're going mad. I was in this situation and feeling like I needed a break, so I pushed myself back from the desk and went upstairs in our house uh, looking for something to distract me, looking for a bit of adventure. I had a tiny bit of wanderlust and itchy foot, and so up I went hunting for some kind of adventure. I went into the kitchen and opened up the cupboards and looked for something to eat, but there really was nothing in the cupboard that was overly exciting, and so I meandered on down the hallway to our bedroom. I didn't know why I was going there. I was looking for something. I couldn't find anything there to keep me occupied, or that was exciting, and so I ended up going to the dining room. We didn't have a television, didn't much feel like reading a book, and so that didn't do it for me. I paced around the house a while longer and ended up, for whatever reason, I ended up, and maybe you've had this before, in the bathroom, staring at myself in the mirror, turning my head this way, turning my head that way, looking at myself, talking to myself a little bit, making funny voices, and kind of saying, now what can we do with this? And I noticed as I was looking in the mirror that my hair was quite disheveled and much in need of a haircut. Now, my wife typically gives me haircuts, and I thought, I know, I could do my wife a gift. I could give myself a haircut. This will be adventurous, it'll be fun, and I was pretty darn sure it was going to be really, really sexy. (laughs) And so, having decided on the matter, I went into the hallway, I went, opened the cupboard, uh, the closet, I grabbed the buzzers, went back to the bathroom, plugged it in, turned it on, turned it off, looked at myself again, thought, are you really going to do this? I thought, wait, just let's be careful here. What are you going to do? I thought, I'd probably look good pretty bald if I just take it all off because I'm not much skilled to do anything else. So I put my hands on my forehead and kind of lifted up my eyebrows and hid my hair. And I thought, hey, it brightened your face. You're going to look great bald, actually. Not, of course, remembering that your eyebrows are going to fall back down and it's not going to just stay there once your hands are gone. Nonetheless, this didn't deter me, and so I proceeded. One side, ooh, that looked good and wasn't that fun, and the other side, I literally shaved off all of my hair one afternoon because of boredom. And I looked up into the mirror, and I thought, that was fun, that was adventurous, but oh my goodness gracious me, it certainly was not very sexy. I thought, maybe if I wash my face, it'll get better. I did that, that didn't help. I thought maybe if I put some gel in whatever was remaining of my hair, it was stubble like this. That certainly didn't make a difference. I thought, everything's going to be okay, don't panic. 
Your wife loves you. Your kids are going to come home. Your wife is going to think you're sexy and your kid's going to think you're cool. So I waited with bated breath until they came home. The front door opens and I went rushing to the front door to show them my newfound look. And I kid you not, the first thing my kids said, the first one was, oh my goodness, dad, why would you do that? My third child, who was about three and a half, four at the time, didn't say anything. She literally started crying. (laughs) My wife then, my bride, who hadn't yet come through the door, I thought, here is my last hope. She's going to have something redemptive to say. She will at last think it's good. But no, she came in through the door and she said, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? You buffoon. For the rest of the day, I kid you not, we have different mirrors in the house and bathrooms and at different stations at our house. I would walk around the house and I'd end up looking in the mirror and trying to find an angle in the mirror that would enable me to form a positive judgment of myself. It was very, very hard. I felt like, to use language we used on Monday, the haircut didn't do me justice. I had in fact done myself a grave injustice by giving myself a haircut. And so the consequence was I couldn't stop judging myself. You suck, I said. You are a buffoon. You are a bit of an idiot. And you do look like a dork. I couldn't stop all day long. I have experienced, and perhaps you have too, that in Western culture today, we detest the idea of being called judgmental. Judgmentalism. You judger. It is a fate almost worse than death death itself for us to be called judgmental. Maybe even worse than being called a hater, although probably being called a hater today is worse than being called judgmental. We don't even like to make judgments about certain things, certainly not moral judgments. And so what we have kind of done in Western society today is we have taken this idea of judgment and we've thrown it out the window. We've thrown it out the window in terms of making moral judgments. There are no moral absolutes, we say. You do you what's good for you. I'll do me what's good for me as long as we're not hurting anybody. And we certainly don't like the idea of a judge who stands above the circle of this earth on a judgment seat making judgments about us. That is an anathema idea. We hate it. And so what have we done? Well, on the one hand, we have said, there probably is no God, therefore, we've solved the problem of a judge. Or if there is a God, we've gotten him wrong in the past. He's really not a judge. He's just a God of love. And we remove the category of justice or judgment from the idea of the God of love. We think that by throwing out the idea of moral absolutes and throwing out the idea of God, the just judge who sits on the throne, that we've gotten rid of the problem of judgment. But you know, there's thick irony here because we haven't, not even close. All that we have managed to do in Western society today, as my trivial illustration exemplifies, is we've made a substitution. We've just substituted God's standards or moral absolutes for my own standards or my own absolutes of what's going to make me acceptable to myself, 
or in the eyes of others. And we've exchanged or substituted God above sitting on his throne and putting ourselves there. We put ourselves in the supreme place of judging ourselves. And we are harsh critics. We condemn ourselves. Oh, the self-censorship. Oh, the self-recrimination. Oh, the how much I suck voice inside of us, right? There's an author called Calvin Trillin who wrote a book called Remembering Denny. He wrote it as a memoir to his friend Denny. Denny committed suicide. Calvin wrote this book in order to discover through research how on earth it could be that Denny would end his own life. Nobody would ever have foreseen it. Denny was the most gifted, the most liked, the most prized individual in their entire high school. He was really good looking. He was the captain of the football team. He was the valid Victorian. He got straight A's. He was the one they said had a million dollar smile. The class voted that if anybody was gonna become the president, the next president of the United States in their generation, it was going to be Denny. He was dating the best looking girl in the class. But when Denny came out of high school, Calvin learned as he began to research, there was such expectation upon him and he didn't meet the expectations that others and he himself had of him. He didn't live up to his own standards of what was acceptable for Denny. He wasn't that awesome in school when he got to university. He didn't end up marrying the girl from the varsity or whatever it was. He didn't become the next president of the United States. And while he kept his million dollar smile, his million dollar smile became a cover for the depression and the depletion that was mounting in him because oh, the pressure that was on him to perform, to be a somebody, to live up to the standards, but he wasn't living up to it. And so he found himself on a seat of judgment, condemning himself, you suck. You don't have value. You're a nobody. You're not worth the air you breathe. And eventually it led to Denny's own death, to his taking his own life. Oh, we can be harsh critics of ourselves. We think we've got rid of the problem of judgment. Oh no, we haven't. We've just made a substitution. We've become our own judges. And man, oh man, can we be harsh critics. You know, people have said about your generation, right? Your generation, you guys have it so easy way easier than the generations of the past, don't you? Look at all the technology that you have, how easy it is, you don't have to work hard, this, that, and the other thing. Maybe some of those things are true, but you know, there is one aspect which I think is profoundly and very untrue. 200 years ago, you were given a profound and secure identity. You were born to a family with a mom and a dad who ordinarily stayed together. There was a secure identity there in a village where people knew you and you had a secure identity there in a city where people knew you and you had a place and you were part of a church and you had an identity in that church. You were largely in those days given your identity. You normally did what your father did. You normally did what your mother did, which in that case would have been be a mom. Now, there was issues with that, but the one reality is you had a secure identity. You knew who you were. You weren't expected to create yourself out of thin air. 
But today, what do we tell young people? We say, the sky's the limit. The world is your oyster. You can be anything that you want to be. The pressure's off, right? No, the pressure's on. Because if I'm my own creator, then I also have to be my own censor. I have to watch myself. And I do watch myself. Am I making the grade? Am I becoming a somebody? How's the grammar of my life turning out? Oftentimes, we indeed are unbelievably harsh critics of ourselves. The voice of self-censorship comes up. Any of you know what I'm talking about here? Maybe the last time you got a bad grade, maybe when you went through a breakup, or maybe when you look in the mirror, you don't achieve the standards that you think you need to have in order to be an acceptable person. Oh, you're seated on the judgment seat, aren't you, over your own life? We haven't gotten rid of the problem of judgment. It's with us. We can say there are no moral absolutes, but we'll embrace our own absolutes. We'll say there's no God above who judges us, but then we become our own judges. Depression, depletion, downtroddenness, anxiety, stress. Yeah, it's bad. So what do we do? Well, here's one of the things that I think we can do. I think we can look at John chapter 19, verse 13. There is wonder in this one verse. The context is that Jesus has been arrested. He's been interrogated before Pilate, and Pilate wants to bring him out before the people. And so Pilate brings him out, and in verse 13, John, the author of the fourth gospel, says something arresting. He says, Pilate took Jesus out, and he sat down on the judgment seat. Those of you who are English majors, what was the antecedent? (laughs) Pilate came out, and he, Pilate came out with Jesus, and he sat down on the judgment seat. Which he? John, who is a master of ambiguity, I believe, is being intentional in this ambiguity. He wants us to learn the Christian art of the double take, to look again. Who did you first see was on the throne? Probably Pilate. Who does John say we must see on the throne? Jesus, because he is the true king of this world. We've got to do a double take. Not only is Jesus on the throne, but we are very, very wise to put Jesus on the throne, to allow him instead of ourselves to be the judge. Why? Because he is so much more gracious than we are. Because on the basis of his work on the cross, he says, I have no more judgment of you. I have taken care of the problem of judgment. I've judged it in my own body. I've judged it in myself. There was no other way. It's done. And so now all Jesus wants to say to us, I believe this morning is the following. I believe Jesus wants to come near us and say this. I know that you're a screw up. I know what you look like when you wake up at 3 a.m. I know that you went through a breakup I know that you went through a divorce. I know that you're complicated and incredibly moody. I know what you do when you're alone. I know you have a temper. I know that you're angry at me for the miscarriage. I know you bite your fingernails. I know how you've slept around. I know how you sweat like an elephant and stink like a seal. I know how you're still afraid of the dark. I know how you're still afraid of my light. 
I know how you shout at your kids and ignore your spouse and treat your parents badly. I know how you act like the life of the party only to prevent people from discovering that you're shy. I know how you feel good about feeling guilty and guilty about feeling good. I know how you drink too much and have a horrible potty mouth. I know everything about you. And yet, I love you. So come over here. Let's take a look at you. We can start working on this together if you want to. If you will trust me, come and lay in my cradle of grace. Let me be the judge. And I say, you are precious. You are beloved. You are a one-off. You were my idea. Students, friends, many of us have put our trust in Jesus for our death, but I wonder if we could also put our trust in Jesus for our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people say, Amen. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you are a gracious God who has done what you have done on the canvas of history so that we can stop judging ourselves so much. Not that we don't want to become better. Not that we don't want to um, please you more, oh Lord. But we know that when you look at us through the lens of the cross, you see Jesus himself. And Lord, we do what we do out of gratitude now, not, not out of a sense of fear or out of a sense of judgment. Take that fear away from us as we look into your face and see the lion who has become a lamb. We pray this in Jesus' name. Give us a blessed day now. Amen.